Amen. Thanks, guys. Um, my name is Adam Knight, uh, Director of Middle School Ministry here at North. It's, it's good to see everyone in the house this morning. You guys feeling all right? Feeling good? A little crowd participation. Uh, do me a favor, if you will. Uh, clap your hands if you consider yourself a fan of country music. Wow. I, I said country music, right? I mean, that was a lot of people for... Uh, keep, keep clapping if you like country music. Keep clapping. Okay. Just just want to just wanna see something. Keep clapping. Keep clapping. Keep clapping. Keep clapping. Uh, if you're not maybe a fan of country music, but you have it on your car radio, like it's, on, it's programmed in, any other people? Uh, any people who like old Taylor Swift better than new Taylor Swift? All right, that's that's good. Thanks, thanks for participating there. I, I'm just trying to get a good feel of the room, just to kind of see what percent of the congregation I'm not going to be able to connect with on any level this morning. Uh, I'm I'm kidding, of course. I'm kidding. Um, but we're in this series here at North Bible Church called Summer Playlist. Anyone ever created a summer playlist? Yeah. They got uh, playlists on the computer back in the day. They had these little round thing called CDs. Even before that, they had the little rectangles that you made mixtapes. Anyone know what I'm talking about there? All right, yeah. What's up? <laughs> yeah, summer playlists. It's, it's kind of this thing where, you know, you're, you're chilling by the pool or you're out barbecuing. You want, you want a nice little, you know, soundtrack for your life. So you put together this, this awesome playlist that kind of, you know, keeps you in the groove all summer, no matter what you're doing, if you're barbecuing or you're on a road trip or whatever. Different styles, different genres can all be a part of the summer playlist. I remember uh, the best summer playlist that I ever made personally was all classic rock, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty young, like classic rock is like before my time. They, you know, that's what they say. So, like, I didn't really get into classic rock till I was, like, 21, 22 years old. But ever since then, like, you know, Aerosmith, Queen, uh, ELO, any fans in the house? Yeah. It was awesome. It was so good. Uh, so, you guys ever heard of uh, Apple Music? Anyone? Clap your hands if you've heard of Apple Music. Yeah. Yeah, we're clapping today. Apple Music is this, uh, it's this program. That's, uh, you know, if you have an iPhone or if you have a, a Macintosh computer, uh, you can subscribe to Apple Music. It's a streaming service. And any song in the iTunes database, which is like pretty much any song in the history of mankind, uh, any song on there, you can automatically, you know, get on your phone or on your computer uh, instantly. You can stream it. Uh, in fact, this, this week, Wes brought in his uh, his phone that was... You know, he had Apple Music updated. He was like, Adam, name me a song. I'm going to tell Siri to play the song, and she will play it for us. I said, okay, uh, try, try Queen, I Want It All. That was my number one song, yeah? And so he says, Siri, play Queen, I Want It All. And do you know what? Siri played Queen, I Want It All, and it was awesome. It was so cool just to have that uh, capability in the palm of your hand. The, the second song that, uh, that Wes picked, not, not myself, but a little local flavor, little Aaron Anderson. It was pretty, pretty cool. 
but obviously, I'm, I'm standing in for, for Larry and, uh, this week. Uh, we're creating a summer playlist of our own here on the stage. Different voices, different styles, all get the opportunity um, to share what's on our heart, what God has challenged us with, um, and, and we're all kind of grooving to the same beat here. So the title of, of the, the sermon today, uh, influenced by Apple Music, is called Love Is Your Name, Steven Tyler, Christians, and Culture. Clap your hands if you've heard of this song, Love Is Your Name, by Steven Tyler. Okay, yeah. When I first saw this, I was kind of scouring the iTunes um, top of the charts, and it wasn't on the tip top. It was like number 30 or something like that. But I'm like, Steven Tyler, I know that guy. He, he sang in Armageddon. Um, no, he's, fr- he's from Aerosmith. He's, he's, you know, he's my classic rock guy. But I saw his name, and I saw on the column that said genre, and it said country. And I was like, what? Steven, Steven Tyler sings country now? So I had to listen to this song. Uh, I put it out there on Facebook just checking if anyone else liked it and it had a, a lot of funny responses. I know country and that ain't it was one of them. But uh, Steven Tyler, he kind of self-proclaims this, uh, this new um, endeavor of his to be a mix between Steven Tyler and Mumford and & Sons and the Everly Brothers, who I'm told is a country artist. I'm not sure. Uh, but this, this new song, Steven Tyler... Uh, Love is your name. It, it kind of stuck out to me this week, especially uh, with what I'm being challenged by personally. And, and for me personally, what I want to talk to you guys about this morning is, is the culture that we live in today. It, it seems like every day in the news there's, there's something crazy going on in the world, something divisive, something highly politicized. And as Christians, it's like, how, how do we respond to that? What, what is our role in, in today's culture? What do we do when, when you know, set, someone says something that doesn't line up with our beliefs? When, uh, when Ariana Grande, you know, hates America and, you know, Donald Trump says things about immigrants and the Supreme Court makes a ruling about same-sex marriage. What do we do as Christians uh, when, when those things come up? I've had so many different conversations over the past days, weeks, months, um, just about the idea of Christians and culture. Are we supposed to fit in? Are we supposed to stand out? What's the whole deal? And uh, Karl Barth, the great theologian, said you're supposed to preach with your Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And so we're going to look at some, uh, you know, key passages of Scripture today that kind of address how, how you and I as Christians, how we're supposed to engage the culture around us, engage our society today, and still be true to what we believe. You know, Larry's touched on this topic um, over the past couple weeks, living as a believer in an unbelieving world, and I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. I don't think that, you know, what Larry said was incomplete, and I'm trying to, you know, teach better than Larry, nothing like that. I just like to, to get a, a nice reminder in our heads. It's always, it's always good to be reminded of, of these truths. And, and one of the points from last week, if you were here, Larry said, we're, we need to walk in the word. If we want to succeed as uh, living as believers in an unbelieving world, we need to walk in the word of God.
the, the theologian Eugene Peterson said, when you're studying scriptures, as I was studying scriptures this week, the, the most important question to ask is not, what does this mean? But what can I obey? And so this week I was, I was walking in the word. I was, I was reading scripture. I was saying, God, teach me something. How, how can I obey your word today? And, uh, you know, I was going through iTunes and love is your name. I couldn't help but think of the passage in 1 John chapter 4. Love is your name. And I thought, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever, has, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manif- manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And fast forward to verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God is love. This is probably the single greatest statement about God that's, that's in the scriptures. God is love, not God is a loving being. God is someone who has the capacity to love on, on some level. At his very nature, at his very core, God is love. His name is love. That, that's who he is. And, and if I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer in God, I'm trying to follow God, how can I, in turn, love the people around me? It's, it's actually a command here in this passage. Let us love one another. We learn one part of God's love in this, in in verse 9. It says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And one of the ways that, that God is love is that God holds nothing back because love holds nothing back. He, he took his only son and sent him to the world for you and I. W- what do we hold back from, from, from the people around us? What do we hold back if we're having conversations with unbelievers? What do we hold back when we're driving down the road and we see someone on the side? What do we hold back? How can we love the people around us? Verse 11, because God loves us, we should love one another. It's a command. It's, hey, love one another. That's part of our mission as a church, right? Love God, love one another, love the world. I love that. It's, it's so concise. It's so to the point. Love God, love one another, love the world. But what does that look like on a, on a practical day-to-day basis? How can you and I do that tomorrow morning when you wake up and, and log in you know, to Facebook and you see all the little debates already raging. How, how can you and I love God, love one another, and love the world in today's culture? In, in the middle school ministry, we've been going this summer, we've been going through the book of Acts. And I love the book of Acts. It's, it's so practical for me just watching the early Christians, you know, the people, uh, you know, right after Christ uh, resurrected and ascended into heaven. What did they do? How did they interact with culture? 
how did they spread the love of Jesus to the people around them? And uh, just kind of off subject here, but one of my favorite stories in the Bible is from the book of Acts, chapter 20. I've made sure to mention it to the middle schoolers, but I thought I'd uh, bring it up to you guys today. Acts chapter 20 is talking about Paul, and he's uh, preaching, okay? Kind of like I am today, but not on a Sunday morning. Paul is actually preaching on a Sunday night. He's, a, he's in a house church. They're up on the third story. And, and the Bible says that Paul is kind of going on and on. He's kind of long-winded. It says he goes until midnight, right? And it's kind of getting hot and stuffy in the room because of the, the lamps. And so people are trying to catch, you know, a breath of fresh air from the, from the window in the third-story room. And this guy named Eutychus, this young man, uh, his name's Eutychus. And it's kind of funny to me, kind of ironic, that Eutychus, uh, you know, translated from the Greek, it, kinda, it has a connotation that means lucky. So this guy named Eutychus, listening to Paul preach, it's midnight, he's hot. Uh, I don't know if anyone else in here can relate, but he falls asleep while Paul is teaching. He falls asleep, and he falls out the window and dies. I love this story. It's so good. But uh, just, wanted to, just wanted to remind you guys, if you needed uh, a little incentive to stay awake this morning, you could die. <laughs> there is a happy ending. Paul goes downstairs, heals him, says, your, your, uh, your strength is restored, and uh, he goes back upstairs to the third story, and the Bible says he teaches even more until daybreak. So he's really long-winded. I won't be that long-winded this morning. That's a promise. Um, but the book of Acts, we kind of see Paul's entire life, kind of how he goes from city to city, uh, region to region, culture to culture, interacts with these different cultures. And, and how does Paul live a life of faith when he faces so many different cultures, many of them not hospitable to his lifestyle, not hospitable to his faith, to the gospel. You know, he, he goes into Philippi, and he gets arrested, right? He goes to Ephesus, and, and there's a huge crowd that starts a riot because of what Paul is teaching. He goes to Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish world, and they don't like what he's teaching, so they have him arrested and put on trial, and we can see uh, how Paul interacts with the people around him, the culture around him, how Paul lives a, a, a believing lifestyle in an unbelieving world. Because in every one of these situations, Paul is faced with a decision, a choice. You've got to choose between following Christ and, and fitting into culture. And we can see um, Paul's priorities by looking at some of the books that he wrote. He wrote a bunch of letters, some people um, that he met along the way and stayed behind. He met Lydia, he met Timothy, he met Titus, and, and some of these people kind of stayed behind and uh, in the cities where Paul traveled, and they kind of ran the churches there. And so in the book of Titus, I want us to turn there, uh, Titus chapter 3. We're going to spend a lot of time here this morning. But Paul is writing a letter to his friend Titus saying, you're in charge of this church here in the, on the island of Crete. And, and, and here's, uh, here's some advice for you guys. Here's, here's how you can live a believing lifestyle in an unbelieving world. For those of us in here who are task-oriented, 
clap if you're task-oriented. Yeah, clap, yeah, clap. Okay, cool. Just uh, helping you out, making sure you don't fall asleep here. Uh, so Titus chapter 3, he gives us some tasks. Uh, a lot of times someone will tell you you're supposed to do this, like here's the end goal, but then you're left on your own to figure out how do I get from point A to point B. Task-oriented people like myself, we like instructions. Okay, to get here, ultimately, you'll have to start out by doing this and then doing this and following this. And, and so I like that, um, you know, personally. I like to know what we're doing. If I'm called to love God, love one another, love the world, I want to know exactly what that looks like. And, and this is a perfect picture in our culture. Chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. This is a, this is a pretty good list to start with. This is a pretty good list uh, for those of us who, who want to learn what it means practically to love God, love one another, and love the world. He starts off by saying, be submissive to the rulers and authorities. Remind them. I'm not up here like um, giving you guys groundbreaking, brand new spiritual truths. Th these are just reminders for us. And, and that's good for us every, every so often, just to be reminded. These are things that we can obey. Be submissive to authority. You know, God ordained order in our world. He's a God of order, not a God of chaos. And so government is ordained by God. A chain of command is ordained by God. Authority is ordained by God. And that's why he, he gives us different uh, um, situations where authority is to be listened to. In government, in the workplace, in the home. There's, there's a chain of command at home where parents are the authority figures. A lot of times we don't like to submit to these authority figures. But Paul reminds us that we, we need to be submissive. And, and that's not really uh, fun. It doesn't sound fun. Be submissive, that sounds weak. Uh, that sounds like you're just giving up and giving in. But, but it's not weak. We see in, in Acts later part, uh, of the book, you know, chapters 21 on pretty much. And, and Paul is facing trials. He's on trial. He's facing these different um, rulers, authority figures. He starts out by facing the, the Sanhedrin. Then he gets moved along to, to face governors, Felix and Festus. And then he, he stands before King Agrippa. He's on trial there. And we don't see it in the book of Acts, but we know that he traveled to Rome and, and stood on trial before the emperor at the time. Uh, I believe it was Nero. And, and every time Paul stood before a governing body, he said, I've obeyed all the laws. I, I've submitted to the rules. I've not broken any laws. Right? The Jewish people might think that I've broken some of their laws, but that's only because we see through a different lens. And, and I now believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. 
but none of these state laws have I broken. In fact, when I was in Philippi, right, Paul was in prison, and, and they were singing hymns one night, and, and there was a huge earthquake, and the, the prison doors were flung wide open, and, and Paul didn't escape. Paul's not shying away from, from government authority. He's not, uh, he's not mounting a political offensive or foaming insurre- fomenting insurrection. He says, I'm submitting to authority because authority is good. Authority is God-ordained. I wonder, do we submit to the authority figures in our life? Kids and teens, do we submit to our parents? Adults, do we submit to our, uh, our bosses at work, our government? It's a good challenge. It's a good thing to be reminded of. It's not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. It's, it's, a, it's something that we can obey in order to love the people around us better. He goes on to say, to be obedient. I'm thinking, okay, uh, not what can I learn, but what can I, I obey. I want to obey the command to be obedient. And it starts to get into this uh, little inception-type dream inside of a dream. Uh, how can you obey the command to be obedient? But, you know, God calls us to love one another, love the world. It's, it's simple. It's simple. We need to obey that command. We don't need to come up with excuses and say, I, I, I don't want to love this person because they have a different belief system than I have. Or I don't want to love this person because they've wronged me in the past. We're simply called to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And, and we're getting into uh, you know, this list really convicting to me personally. Are, are you ready for every good work? That's something I was asking myself this week. Am I ready? Am I prepared? If the opportunity arises in my life for me to do something good, am I ready to seize that? Or do I just sit on the couch and give myself a pat on the back for not doing anything evil? God wants us to be prepared to do every good work. not just to sit there in our own comfort zone, in our own convenience, and watch as opportunities pass us by. To avoid quarreling. This one's challenging for me, too. Do I have anyone in this room who just loves to win? They're a competitor. They, they love to come out on top. If you're in a, a sporting uh, competition, you love to be in first place. If you're in an argument, you love to have the final you know, knockout word, board games come out on top. That's totally me, 100%, right? And, and I think about, uh, you know, my, my lovely wife. A lot of times we have these conversations, well, how do you spell this word? And I'm like, I know exactly how to spell it. You're wrong. You can look on my Google search, you know, for all these different arguments that I've, like, gone to just so I can prove myself right and prove someone else wrong. Like, that's so silly. That's, that's so unnecessary, like, I don't really need to come out on top. And Paul, Paul asks us, commands us to avoid quarreling because there's no love there. It's saying, I'm better than you are when, when we quarrel, when we have the last word, when we have these unnecessary arguments. And uh, something I'm learning how to do, get this, 
is to know when to not win. Learning how to know when to not win. I don't have to have the last word. I don't have to win every argument. It's okay to let things go. Paul says to be gentle. The, uh, the Greek meaning behind the word gentle, it really means to keep your temper under control. Uh, I got a whopper for you guys. You guys ready to hear a, a story? Really something in my life where I, I've seen uh, someone's temper just absolutely destroy an opportunity to make a positive impact um, in, in someone's life. Uh, before I moved out here, uh, I worked on a construction crew. Uh, we w- worked on buildings much like the one we're in right now, industrial buildings, anything that, uh, you know, w- was constructed out of steel, right? You strip, strip this uh, building down to its bones, and you've got the, the steel beams all over the place. Um, that's kind of what we did. I was on a crew that did the walls and the roof, and uh, personally, it, it was difficult for me because I am petrified of heights. But uh, hey, it was a it was it was a job. Felt really manly while I did it, so it was it was all good. I was on a crew. There were four people on this crew. Uh, my foreman, he was a Christian. Uh, you know, oftentimes we would meet at the local Lowe's parking lot, and we would carpool to our construction site many times over an hour away, so we had a lot of time just kind of chilling in the truck together, listening to Christian radio. He would always have Christian radio on. Uh, the other members of the crew, this guy named Aaron, who was also a believer, but he was like this beast of a guy. I mean, he could lift an airplane so strong. And then the last guy, he was James, uh, not a believer, but he was being trained to be a foreman. And so he was working really closely with our foreman, just kind of being trained, learning the ropes, and what an awesome opportunity that the three of us Christians had to just pour love and hope and grace into this guy's life, right? Not like uh, we're going to corner him and give him a wedgie if he doesn't agree with our beliefs, nothing like that. Uh, We were were trying to make a positive impact in this guy's life, and uh, I remember one day, you know, I'm sitting up on the roof uh, we've got the steel sheets. I've got my screw gun, so I'm fastening, you know, the sheet um, to this uh, purlin that's going straight out. And off to my right is James. Off to my left is my foreman, Aaron. I don't really know where he's at, but uh, James has this boombox that he brings to the job site. Uh, just, you know, turns on the radio. We hardly ever hear it um, because of all the power tools and all of us grunting and spitting and everything like that. But the boombox is out there, just kind of, it's there, hardly ever hear it, except for, you know, the various lulls throughout the day. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, I'm doing my thing, I hear my foreman, he's over on the left, he starts screaming, and he takes his, his tool, and he spikes it on the ground, and uh I didn't know what to do. I was just kind of keeping my head down. I was like, did I mess up? Did, did, I, did I do something wrong? Just, you know, don't look. Don't make eye contact. So he spikes his tool. He comes back. He grabs the boom box, which apparently he had been listening to and, and had played a song that he didn't like. He takes the boom box, spikes it on the ground, 
and it shatters. And James is like, hey, man, that's my boom box. What are you doing? And my foreman just starts ripping him to shreds. That was a song that was disrespectful to my God. I will not sit here and let this song be played in my presence. And he starts going on and on and on about how it was disrespectful to his God. On one hand, I'm like, he's really standing up for God, and and that's a good thing. On the other hand, I think we've gone past the self-control portion. Uh, You know, he's, he's gone off the deep end. His temper is totally just destroying any possibility of us continuing this good relationship. And James is like, I didn't play the song. I didn't write the song. I didn't know it was coming on. Like, why didn't you just change the channel? And the foreman just keeps yelling at them. And they end up, like, going at each other's neck. Like, we call this the rooftop rumble, affectionately, afterwards. I'm sitting on the edge, literally on the edge of the roof. I got 40 feet of air below me. I'm thinking, this is how I'm going to die. These two full-grown men are wrestling, and they're going to knock me off the roof here. Um, but Aaron comes out of nowhere, separates him. James picks up what's left of his boombox, picks up his tools. He gets in the man lift, goes down, gets in his truck, and, and leaves. Never worked with our crew again. And I, I was just saddened by, by this temper. Our foreman lost his temper and destroyed any possibility of planting a seed of hope and love and forgiveness in James's life. I know many of you guys have stories like that where it may be yourself and it may be someone around you who, who have gone off the deep end. But, but Paul asks us to, to be gentle, to control your temper. He goes on and says to show perfect courtesy toward all people. In verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Verse 8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to, to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for the people. And Paul's saying, when you're interacting with the people around you, when, when you're interacting with people who don't yet believe in the gospel, we need to get rid of, of the hat that we like to put on, the self-righteous, holier-than-thou hat. He says, get rid of that. If it wasn't for what God has done in all of our lives, we'd, we'd be just like them. We're no different than them. It's only because of God, his, the goodness and loving kindness of our God. It's real humbling just to think about. I'm up on this stage today, but 
I very easily, you know, could have gone a different path if it wasn't for God's impact in my life, for God's love in my life. You're in this room, but you could have easily chosen a different path in life if it wasn't for God's impact in your life. Verse 8, Paul finishes by saying, uh, be careful to devote themselves to good works. This is a theme throughout the book of Titus. Again, I mentioned it earlier, but Titus is only three chapters long. It's only like 46 verses, but six times Paul commands us, challenges us to be ready for good works. Again, are, are you ready for good works? Is, is your life prioritized to be ready for good works? C.S. Lewis once said, I don't believe that good work is ever done in a hurry. And I think in, in today's day and age, we're often in a hurry. We're often running from point A to point B. The busier we are, the more important we feel. Sometimes we just need to take a step back, clear out our schedule so that we can be ready for, for, for these good works, for, for God to show us what to do. So I ask you today, in closing, what choice will you make when deciding between following God and, and fitting into culture? Where, where is your identity? Is your identity in Christ, in pleasing Him, or is your identity in yourself, your, uh, your, your wealth, your finances, your popularity, your business, your role as a mom or dad? Are you trying to please the people around you above pleasing God? We don't have to change our beliefs but we, we certainly don't have to change our mission to love God, love one another, and love the world. So I wonder what, what our workplace would look like if we chose to avoid quarreling. What our neighborhood and our school would look like if we chose to show self-control and hold our temper intact? What our relationships with the people around us would look like if we chose to submit to authority? If we were always prepared to do what is good, what would our city look like? What would Scottsdale, Phoenix, what would the valley look like if people noticed a change in us, a difference in us, a hope, a purpose, a love, that we don't have to agree on everything, but I love you. As the band comes up, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for these commands, for these words in Scripture that, that give us a clear idea of, of how we should obey we're living as unbelievers, or as, as we're living as believers in an unbelieving world, these, wor these words help us navigate the path to stay true to our beliefs, but to stay true to our purpose. Love you, love one another, and love the world. 
And God, I just pray some of us in here might need challenge this week to reprioritize our life, to reprioritize our, our focus, our schedule, so that we can be aware of your presence, so that we can be aware of opportunities that come across our path to do good, to go above and beyond to, to love the people around us. And it's not just good enough to sit on the couch and say, at least I'm not hating the people around me, or I'm not doing evil, committing crimes. God, you have a greater purpose for us. God, you want us to love the people around us and be prepared 